0: Welcome to Strung Out, a podcast dedicated to look at life through the lens of an artist. That artist and your host is Martin Lawrence McCormack. And now here's Martin. Welcome to Strung
1: Out. I'm Marty McCormack. Political consultant Sandeep Kapal is in the building. Uh, long time, no talk, Sandeep, I think it was November 3rd. Yeah, it's
2: been a slow political season, would you say? Anything yeah, nothing happened.
1: Yeah, Nothing <laughs> happening at all you know and that's for covid and the lockdown i'll tell you what it's just boring but let's let's just acknowledge the fact that we are on the cusp of the inauguration of joe biden and kamala harris let's just let that sink in for a second things could have been so much worse when you think about it i mean unless you're diehard republican things are worse right but uh, truthfully we are watching things play out so quickly right now. Just today's headlines, there was the talk about the Republican Party trying to go through with the impeachment to expunge Trump from its roles. So in other words, get him out of the Republican Party, and therefore we will be able to rehabilitate our image. So there's so many things playing out in fractures and fractures. Uh, couple of weeks ago what did we have a little party at the capitol right can't even make light of it an attempted coup just this is nutty times and uh, you predicted it all i did (laughs) i saw
2: the end of democracy coming i should be on cnn i tell you Um...
1: what you should (laughs) You, you could say you're openly indian (laughs) <laughs> they go, like Don, Don Lemon saying he's openly black, but here we are. Today is Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday celebration, the official birthday celebration, and I just thought I wanted to start off with this quote that I, I saw in Vox magazine today, and I think it's a good setup for where we're going to go for you, our listeners. King, at one point, deep into his struggle to try to get support for civil rights, he said, I must confess that over the past few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizens' counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season Wow, that that certainly could apply today. I agree. I, mean, I think what
2: he is trying to say and what what the comparisons to today are you know we have groups that are fighting for their rights even today. And you we hear common complaints that they they shouldn't protest so much, that riots are unacceptable. but we forget that these are the frustrations of our people that have been bound in this situation for hundreds of years.
1: Right. I mean, how much waiting can people have before they finally get accepted? I think that what's poignant about King's comment is that this is exactly where white moderates would want to keep anybody, really. And that just about have it, you know. Oh, just be patient. It'll come. It'll come. And I think this is where we are right now. We are at a turning point. I think COVID has kind of given us the leg up and we, for lack of better terms, we've steered into the abyss. I mean, we have looked at just how bad things could possibly get in this nation. Do you agree? I agree. I think for the first
2: two to three years of this presidency, most of us that, you know, in our circle weren't directly affected by this president's actions. And while we complained and we were sad about things, we generally went on with our lives. Right. The last year has, it's really affected all of us, no matter where we stand on the spectrum. It starts with COVID, the lockdown, the economy cratering, the lack of any plan or direction. Even once the vaccines are here, there's no plan to deliver and vaccinate those, all of us. And I think the final blow was the coup attempt in 6 June, where th- there was an attempt to overturn the elections that all of us participated in, regardless of our wealth or material status. And, and I think finally, the entire nation has woken up to the dangers uh, of the Trump presidency. Too little, too late, in my opinion, but at least we're aware of it now.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And not the 6th of June, though. It felt like the 6th, Sorry, 6th, 6th of, 6th of January. January. It does feel like six months. And... It's interesting that you, you, I agree with you totally. I think we are not yet out of the woods yet though. Do you feel that?
2: Yes. Like I said, it felt like the 6th of June. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like a long time. Like it's only, it was, the Trump presidency was only going to last, what, another 14 days after that event. But it just feels like such a long time. And, it, and we may never know the full extent of the attack, what violent actions were planned by these perpetrators, what was Trump's role. And I mean, we sort of know what role he played. He instigated the whole thing, but he, had, he the inaction after that has been deafening. The silence has been deafening.
1: And I think we're starting to see the, Reasoning for having this trial. I thought a trial was going to happen anyway. I thought it'd probably be more with his dealings before he became president that the Southern District of New York, the rape allegations, everything. I mean, there's just no way he can escape that. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen, whether he will actually pardon himself. I read today there was 100 people more that he's thinking of pardoning. So are you on that list or?
2: I, I have put in a good word. Uh, <laughs> through through uh, my sources high up in the chain of command. Sandeep. I don't even know what for, but I think just like Trump, it's good to get a pardon credit, you know, for right. future well, offense.
1: Supposedly, uh, there's been some financial chicanery, I guess, with the selling of access to, access to yeah, pardons. That's so right. that's an interesting bit here. But we're kind of going to put things together for everybody here. We start in honor of Martin Luther King Jr., who died at, got murdered at 39 years old. Hard to believe, 39. Man, this sucks. So it's a day of service. It's a day of reflection. And this is an important time to reflect on where we've been and where we're going. And that's why we're calling this podcast Cleanup. On aisle seven because we've got a mess to clean up everybody and it is something from the past something from the present and we've got a lot to talk about going forward into the future I want to start in though first with you giving a, a quick talk about this book you're reading because I think it's very interesting can you explain to the listeners about this book
2: sure Uh, The book is called Cast. It's by Isabel Wilkinson. She's a journalist, a media personality, professor. And the central thesis of the book, as she explains, is that we, we talk a lot about race in the United States, in America, but... Uh, what she argues is that we don't have a, a racism system, we have a caste system. For those who are not aware, caste, a caste system is what has existed in India for millennia. It started out as a division of labor, you know, the sons followed their fathers into the profession, but soon it became a way of uh, a system of oppression, where someone couldn't escape their destiny that they they found themselves at birth and they couldn't move to the upper castes, you know, things like the clergy, the warrior class. And, you know, India is notorious for this caste system. It's illegal there. It still rears its ugly head every now and then. It still exists in some rural parts. And what she argues is that just like Indians oppressed the lowest castes in India, and the Nazis pro- tried to frame the Jews in, in mm-hmm. Europe. America has a caste problem where we have an upper caste, we have middle castes, and the lowest caste. The lowest caste being African Americans, and that the need to have this caste system with the lowest caste is important to blanket over or gloss over some of the problems in our system so that we can tell those who are struggling, you know, no matter where you are, no matter how how bad things get, you're still above the lowest caste.
1: Does the author break that down according to financial levels or is it political or is it racial or is it just a combination of everything?
2: It's a combination of everything. It's an entire system built to oppress a certain group of people and it's, it's, it's everything. It's political, it's financial. And I mean, we see it every day, right? I mean, the political suppression is voter suppression. It's the electoral college, which amplifies the choice of white voters, but mm-hmm. discounts the choice of urban African American voters. It's financial. It's, you know, it's segregation. It's redlining. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's institutional. So it's a combination of factors. You just can't have one system. It has to be a complete 360 degree system in order to oppress a group of people. And she shows it chapter by chapter, how we build this caste system and the parallels with caste systems across the globe.
1: Has she given any indications or suggestions on how to break out of the caste system?
2: Well, we have to acknowledge that we have a caste system first. Mm -hmm. I can speak, you know, India has tried to wrestle with this problem. We've tried to We have solutions that mirror things that have happened here in the U.S. There's something like an affirmative action program to give people a leg up. There are financial solutions. But I think just recognizing the depth of the problem and the rot is a good start. Um, Mm -hmm. And she goes through some of those. uh, And we can talk about it probably in another podcast. But that's the thesis of the book. And I recommend that as is is. Your quarantine reading for everybody.
1: And once again, can you give that author's name? Isabel Wilkinson. I might have got the
2: the last name a, a little wrong, but caste. I mean, if you search for that book, that's the first one to
1: well, check it out on your phone while I pontificate. What's very interesting with the notion of caste system is that one has existed in the United Kingdom for such a long time. They have their class right. system, which really, in in a lot of ways, is. Just because you have the working person, you have it even divided by accents and upbringing, the school you attend. And really, any American would probably be like, no way, we don't want to see that. But yet, we're doing it. Right. You know, and that's the hard part. What cast do you think, just asking you, attacked the Capitol?
2: Well, it's obvious to anyone who's spent any time looking at this, it seems like there are cracks showing in the caste system. More and more people from Mm -hmm. the suppressed castes are speaking up as they should. They're they're frustrated. And we're seeing cracks in the system where the people who have dominated the economy, who've dominated the social currents in the U.S. uh, are feeling like they're losing their status. And you and I have talked about this. It feels like democracy is not working to prop up this caste system if anything it's working to break down this system Mm -hmm. and you know they they can call it by a different name but i think what they feel is the system is not working for the upper caste and they want to overturn the elections
1: and i think that's a great place for us to really uh, delve into what we've witnessed then in the last four years but even prior to that because the makings of a caste system really took place back with the compromise of 1877 basically what it was was the democrats at the time if it's kind of weird if you think of the democrats as the republicans today then you have it that's where the republicans were the ones they were talking about we got to keep a union we got to do all this stuff they fought the civil war and finally The people that were in at that time, the lowest caste, the slaves were free and they were starting to take over government and they were starting to work quite into state legislatures and everything like that. So there is this compromise of 1877 in which Rutherford B. Hayes becomes the next president. Boy, there's a first name you don't hear. (laughs) Rutherford. But the, the point is, is that by them making this compromise, the Union troops get pulled out of the South. So the Southern blacks don't have that support that they had to make sure that they were able to be treated equally and fairly. And what happens? Jim Crow comes in, a group called the Red Shirts something that in research I didn't realize even existed. But red shirts are kind of like the Proud Boys in the sense that they come out saying that they're, they're for God and country and basically uh, waving the flag of patriotism, so to speak. But they want to make sure that there's no black vote. And uh, that becomes common throughout the South. These red shirts and such. And with Jim Crow, the upshot is the caste system gets locked into place. So, who benefits from that then? The wealthy, white, former plantation owners, the people that want to hold the power. And this asphyxiation of freedom takes hold then through the latter part of the 19th century. So, this is the the notion of caste. It takes, you know, all the way to Martin Luther King, Jr., the Reverend King sees what. Mahatma Gandhi was doing, right?
2: That's right.
1: And here we are today. So we get civil rights, we get affirmative action, we've got all these things where we're like, yeah, let's let's break a system, mm-hmm. even though it's really not called a caste system. And why do you think we wouldn't call it a caste system?
2: It's a refusal to acknowledge the problem, right? I mean, right. No one wants to look in the mirror and see a flaw, right? Uh, a fatal flaw. And that is, slavery is the original sin of the U.S. Right. Uh, and... You know, it's a scar that we refuse to acknowledge and and fix. And so we call it by different names. But incidentally, a point the author makes in the book is that in, in India, you can tell a person's caste by their last name. Interesting. So you say someone's last name and you can e- easily guess. But in the U.S., they've changed that system of classification into the color of your skin. Okay. And it's a more visceral, more immediate way of discriminating against someone. And so, you know, we can call it racism. We can call it whatever we want. But it's it's sort of a stratified society that we've built here. And, and that's what generations of, of uh, social justice movements have been trying to break.
1: Right. I've been digging around while you've been talking, trying to find this quote from Ulysses S. Grant. This was a quote that he made right at the time of the Great Compromise. And I think, it, again, it's just kind of scary because it applies right to today. And he says, I predict that the dividing line will not be Masons and Dixons, but between patriotism and intelligence on one side and superstition, ambition and ignorance on the other. He gave that speech out in Iowa back in 1876, right before the compromise, which basically proved him right. That ignorance and superstition, so much of what we witnessed in the last four years with the Republican Party. I even hate to call it the Republican Party. I think it's like some sort of elite moneyed white cabal i mean you know the the caste that wants to keep the you know let's let's just call it a caste the whole appeal of trump was not to change things but to actually double down as he kept hearing ad nauseum for 4 years yeah on the idea that nobody was going to change except for the rich to get tax breaks and that sort of thing so they strengthened the caste system as it existed at the expense of keeping the lower caste or the middle caste ignorant and superstitious. And this is where I think Ulysses S. Grant was uh, almost like a prophet at this point because he's basically saying, hey, you know, what's going to happen is that people are just going to be dumb and they're going to be the ones that are going to be manipulated. Well, my question is, have you seen anything that makes people dumb?
2: <laughs> no, but I think you're onto something with the Trump election or the Trump presidency being an upper caste revolt. If you think about it, what was MAGA? I mean, what did it really stand for? Make America Great Again? Did it include a policy or an action that would truly make America great? Did it involve rebuilding the infrastructure, rethinking our school system, making college affordable for everyone, making healthcare affordable for everyone? Nothing. There wasn't a single law that was passed Right. Despite the first two years of the administration being a Republican presidency, a House and a Senate, they have no ideas for what MAGA could be or what MAGA stands for. Right. If anything, it stood for what it should not or who it should not include, which was immigrants who come at the border, black people who are looking for justice, criminal justice reform, who are looking for police reform, Asian immigrants who are coming here, skilled immigrants. So it was very clear about who it wanted, what MAGA, who they excluded, but it had no vision for how it could improve the lives of the people as it is. And I think that's a tell, right? I mean, that's a way of just seeing through all of that nonsense is, it it really was an upper caste revolt and saying, we don't accept the system where we have to share an equal space with everybody
1: else. Exactly. I I agree with you. And I think that They had the bejesus scared out of them under the eight years of Obama, the the idea of having the Affordable Care Act. And uh, there were certain things that Obama did that really frightened, such as trying to strike the deal with Iran, with nuclear. The idea that, geez, maybe we could actually come up with some sort of agreements rather than trying to instigate war which is another way of keeping people down. And especially with the southern border, when you think of all those people, and right now we have Guatemalan troops that are are basically beating back Hondurans who are trying to get up to the border. So this, this isn't going away. We have to think about how we're going to deal with getting equality, not only among Americans, but people who have suffered from The sins of the past, really, with America. But let's hold a thought right there. I'm going to play a a little palate cleanser. You're listening to Strung Out with Martin McCormack and Sandeep Gopal, our political analysts.
3: Let's walk like we did when we were young. Feel the breeze in our hair. Rain on our tongues Remember when Remember then We had it all All in our hands All in our hands All in our hands we let it slip away On a hill, shadows cross the field Explored everything nature would reveal Remember when Remember then we had it all All in our hearts All in our hearts All in our hearts We turned it away Done and dusted, dusted and done Decided long ago, can't fool anyone A chicken like when we first met Smoked a hookah knew better days were coming yet. Remember
0: For a copy of today's Strung Out, the Martin McCormack podcast, send $4,000 in small, unmarked bills to the address on your screen. Who will be glad you did? I want to pick up where we left off before the
1: song. What I wanted to talk about here was that we are looking at this new team coming in, but we still have in place the mechanisms that kept the last team in power. True. And one of the things that I wanted to point out is that once upon a time in 1947, there was established what was called the Fairness Doctrine. And this plays into the idea of why people, in my opinion, are ignorant. The Fairness Doctrine was established for the three major networks at the time, ABC, CBS, NBC broadcasting we had this new medium of television coming in but 1947 was still pretty much radio and that's interesting to know the idea with the fairness doctrine was that you could not broadcast any opinion that didn't have an opposite opinion in other words don't leave the people dumb educate them to the options and let them make a choice for themselves what happens is in the 80s we do away with this Part of the reason is the rise of cable news. Part of it was just because there was this feeling that we're better than this now. We're so much more enlightened. We can just leave it up to networks to do it. They do this. They do away with it. Talk radio comes in. They get rid of my beloved AM radio <laughs> rock stations. And this is what you get. Then you get to people that are making money as uh, the representative, Adam Kissinger, up in Illinois here, says, outrage for profit. Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity, a former house painter turned pundit. See, there's hope for all of us. Those are the things that start happening. And I want to talk about that a little bit. We're going to just take a quick, quick break here. You
0: are listening to Strung Out. Now that you've heard Martin McCormack, you should see him as well. Tune in to the Mr. Marty Show. For talk, a COVID cocktail, 30 seconds of cute, on-the-corner special guests and music, go to martinmccormack.com and click on the Mr. Marty Show link.
1: Okay, We're back. Thanks for hanging in there with us and for that little mini break. I think we're witnessing now with the uh, rise of social media, the chickens have come home to roost as far as not having some sort of uh, legislation. Do you feel that there needs to be regulation for these platforms so people are not basically QAnon'd to death?
2: I agree. I think... We like to think of social media as this open soapbox, but really it's like any other business. It's like owning a cafe. Would you if you're the owner of a cafe and someone came in to and, and rambled on racist threats and, and you know, hatched plots to overthrow the government, would you tolerate it at, you know, at the risk of endangering everybody else, or would you just throw those customers out? And I think legislation or not, I think these big businesses have to own up to their responsibility of, of the spreaders of misinformation, often risking other people's lives. There have been stories of Facebook and WhatsApp used to spread wrong information in in India and third world countries that's led to the death of other people. And we've turned away because Facebook makes a healthy profit for its shareholders and is a big donor to big government to pretty much people across the aisle. But it's now come home and struck at the heart of our democracy. And, And now people are turning to the dangers of social media.
1: Yes. And lest we forget, all of social media basically relies on the Internet, which is an American thing. So basically, you could argue that the airwaves, if the Internet, quote unquote, airwaves belongs to the public, Mm -hmm. there is some sort of argument where you could say, yeah, we need to be regulated because Trump did not get kicked off of social media until January 7th. Right. The day after it took a coup, it took people dying we're hearing
2: the rumblings in regulation in Europe as well. I know the EU is looking at, at regulating Facebook and Twitter to prevent wrong information from uh, spreading. And I think if they are lax about it here in the U.S., that they, they face serious long-term regulatory legal actions against them. I think there's support for that in both parties, mm-hmm. which is interesting in terms of those, the parties can't see uh, eye to eye on anything except this one issue.
1: Sounds like one of the promising things looking ahead is that there might be a chance to look eye eye to eye on some of this stuff. I'm hoping this will be one of them in our pursuit to define what we think the cleanup on aisle seven is. I think the establishment of some sort of fairness doctrine, the bringing it back would totally mind numbing, baffling thing called social media that that mutates faster than the COVID virus. You have things that are coming out all the time, different platforms that people are jumping into, and I've heard it described as whack-a-mole, where you try to find these guys, these boogaloo boys, and these white supremacist groups that never really have gone away since the Civil War. This is uh, part of the trajectory that uh, we're trying to explain here and why the caste system sits in so well is that there is still this idea that if we just keep them down long enough, everything's going to be okay. But I think that day is rapidly coming to an end, and that's what we're witnessing right now. The younger generations are like, enough of this. We don't need to see this. But let's talk a little bit more about the fact that we do have this menace we have this problem yesterday was january 17th and all the state capitals were supposed to be attacked by white supremacist groups and lo and behold there were some that showed up heavily guarded citadels that used to be our our capitals but you had these guys coming with guns and where do we go from here in your opinion
2: well, there's got to be a reckoning, and I think you never waste a crisis, as they say. I think Joe Biden has a lot on his hands, but right. he should consider some serious policy programs that can at least rectify some of these big problems that have gone unanswered for so many years. I think criminal justice reform is one of them. Some anti-poverty programs where we just give cash to needy people so that you know, mm-hmm. people can get out of the bind that they're in. Healthcare justice is is one of them. Seems to be some talk that he's going to try and tackle all of these big issues. He sees himself as someone who's riding the ship in some way that it's just gone off course so much. Right. And that what it's going to take is serious legislative political action. And by the looks of it, he's got the most number of votes in, history, in, in the history of elections here. So uh, in some ways, he has a mandate. He has a House and a split Senate. My hope is that he's, he seizes the moment and, and enacts courageous laws that can tackle the problem head on. In terms of putting that genie back into the bottle, the white supremacist genie, I think shaming people who profit from it is a mm-hmm. start. Shaming people who have the power to stop it but don't, like not impeaching the president when you're the Republican, you know, you run the Republican Party, when you have every donor in your Rolodex uh, and just shying away from that is a problem. So I think we need to hold people to a a higher standard, at least those in power.
1: Two people that come to mind, I think, that really need to be dealt with as an example is Josh Hawley and Ted Ted Cruz. Cruz. What were they thinking?
2: Yeah. These guys are not, you know, working class representatives. They didn't come through the ranks. They are, they're Ivy League educated. They, they live on the coast. They're, one of them was a Supreme Court lawyer. The other one has been a part of the proverbial elite, if there were ever one. And for them to, to just ride this whole populist wave and pretend like they are insurrectionists or revolutionary leaders is, 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 is a joke.
1: This is why I think in part of the cleanup, it's so important to have these trials and not just of Mr. Trump. I'm going to call him Mr. Trump because uh, we're just a day away from or so. But uh, we have to go after the people that not only stormed the building, but basically held open the doors for them to get in. And that is why I think people have been shaken down to their boots this time around. It was that this wasn't anything that was veiled in secrecy or something like that. Even after people got killed and that woman that got trampled to death, as one reporter mentioned that she was carrying the Gadsden flag when she got trampled, which reads, don't tread on me. The irony of that (laughs) is just so pathetically sad that she died by this ignorant mob that did have people that were in the upper caste also aiding and abetting. These just weren't your Walmart kind of people. I shop at Walmart from time (laughs) to time, so I'm in there. I'm a target person. But you had a lot of executives. You had a lot of people that were in very important branches of work. Right,
2: a former Uh, Olympic medalist. uh, Yeah. uh, CEOs, people who flew in to the coup
1: in a private jet a realtor there's a cowboy guy down in new mexico that all these people are now begging to be pardoned before trump leaves office but we have to look at this and this is probably the shining moment the best moment we will have for a long time in my opinion to look at white racism. If that doesn't happen, then we're not going to advance. I don't think Biden has a snowball's chance in hell to make some strides because that complicity. And that's why I wanted to start off this talk with the, the quote from Dr. King, that white feeling of just don't bother me. Your day will come. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um,
2: and you raise an important point that I want to tie in with Martin Luther King's his struggle was that he believed in non-violence because of course he was inspired by Gandhi, but he also realized that once his flock, once his people win freedom, they have to coexist in a country with his suppressors. Right. And if you have a violent uprising, there's no truth in reconciliation to be had. Right. So if anything, non-violence or Martin Luther King's way was the most democratic way. It was a bottom-up approach of struggle, but it was non it, it preached coexistence. Uh, and it preached a higher standard for everybody. You could tell that Trump and his ideology is the exact opposite of Martin Luther King because it's, all about a top-down. Let's break the system. Let's oppress everybody. There were people at the the coup that said, "Why are the police firing at us? They should be firing at Black Lives Matter." Right. And they didn't cover their faces because they didn't think they were doing anything wrong. Right. That they belonged there and they deserve to knock down the walls and scare their legislators. And I think that's the antithesis of democracy. I think it's fascist, and it's the upper caste revolt in full display.
1: Well said. I want to take a little break here. We're going to play another song, a little palate cleanser.
2: A lot of palate cleansing. (laughs) Got
1: to get that four years of bitter taste out of my mouth, Sandy. But you're listening to Strung Out, and we're going to be coming up on the flip side of this song with just tying this all together.
0: There's a way to let Martin know that you appreciate the show. Click on martinmccormack.com and go to the donate link. Your financial gift of love will keep the show rolling. martinmccormack.com is the place to visit to see and purchase Marty's artworks, writings, podcast, and show. It's easy to remember and to share with friends. Just remember martinmccormack.com. That's martinmccormack.com. We
1: are back. And before the song, you were talking about the idea of Dr. King and saying how we have to live with the people that oppressed us. And that brings us basically to this inauguration. Biden and Harris are trying to say there is a united America. I don't know if we can actually say that right now. I think we we do have to come to terms with the fact that the country is Still and going to be divided until we have the masses educated as to what the truth is. When you have seventy-five million people who think, in one way or another, that the the vote was messed with, we got a problem. We got a cleanup on aisle seven.
2: Yes, yeah, it's a big toxic spill. If I had the answer to how we clean that up, Marty, I would definitely be on CNN.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I think it, this is. It's interesting because the week before I interviewed my friend Dave Fubelman, and his response to all of this is get involved into politics. Sure. So maybe we should angle it toward the idea of service here. What do you do? How do you reach out to your oppressor? I tried to do it last week with several people, I won't call them my oppressor, but people that are holding on to this notion somehow that, as the one gentleman said, We are going to take America back when I told him he could go to Russia and hang out and see what it's like not to have any liberty whatsoever. And uh, look at poor Alexei Navalny. What a brave patriot that man is for his country. Now sitting in a jail in Moscow after being poisoned, Novichok in his underwear, and, and actually got the dolt to be tricked into confessing to the fact, yeah, but put it in your underwear, man. You can't write this stuff. But here he is. What a brave you talk about brass huevos, that man, he really is standing up for democracy, something that we need to see in Russia, something we definitely need to see in China. And you could argue that Trump stood up to the Chinese when it helped him with his vote, but he did not stand up for America. He did not make America great again. And he didn't even really believe in the idea that Anybody who wasn't of his class and culture, unless they were working on his grounds, belonged. So we have this communication problem. We have this communication problem with people who are still going to watch Fox News, who are still going to go to dark parts of the web, who are still going to nurture this idea that we've got to take this country back in the name of Jesus. What do we do?
2: I have no idea, Marty. I mean, you've you spoken to people in the know, but What what sways people who believe in Trump? Is there anything that gets them to look the other way or face the truth?
1: The only thing I can think of, Sandeep, is that engaging people first, that is the key. Engaging people as people and talking about mundane things to let them understand that you are not the enemy. For so many years now... We have gone after each other's throats that, even in my own family, it's easy to do that. My brother sent out an email to my family talking about, in the Catholic Church, Cardinal Vigano, who despises Pope Francis, was asking people to pray that the voter fraud in the United States would be overturned. My brother sends this out to my family, and I said, brother... You stupid idiot. So many words. Stop spreading this BS. I thought I could be direct with him because I wanted him to know, and I wanted my family to know, this is lies. And there's a whole big problem. So, did I, in that instance, make a enemy out of my brother? To some degree, yes. I stood up for the truth. However, I believe my brother to be intelligent enough that he can search out the facts for himself and be enlightened. There are a lot of people that just are going to cling to the idea that they were wronged for the idea of being wronged. And we have to come from the angle first of we got to come all together and then gentle in confrontation in a way through education and by bringing in some safeguards that we have dismantled the years that we didn't realize were protecting us, such as the Fairness Doctrine. I've always heard the media is the fourth branch Mm -hmm. of government. And media has taken a pounding more than anything else has been exploited for profit than any other branch of the government. The next branch would be the the legislative branch where you have intense lobbying. And we can go on to another show with that. That's where I stand. Engagement first as people. And it's, it's going to take, unfortunately, still people of color to lead that charge. And uh, this isn't over. Unfortunately, the white racist, the white complacent person who is even more dangerous than the white racist are out there. And we need them not to feel uncomfortable, but enlightened. And the only way that's going to come is if our institutions like media get rid of Mark Levin, get rid of Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and Laura and uh, I don't know what's on the, the extreme left. Do you know? Who do you listen to? Uh, <laughs> the Antifa? High Pirate Radio. I, no, know I don't
2: listen to any of that. But I think uh, consequences, legal consequences for people who've committed crimes is a start. Amen. Um, we have to yeah. face a reckoning. Maybe we'll never fix the problem of misinformation. Maybe there's always going to be a large group of people as this country becomes more and more diverse who go off the deep end and believe that they've been robbed of a country, that their rightful place has been taken away from them. And that's just something that we're going to have to wrestle with time and time again, especially every four years with election time. My hope be... is that Trumpism, Trump was a one-off event, a black swan, and that whoever comes next will you know, we will see right through it. We'll see through that fake, fake populism and demagoguery and we'll keep them away from power.
1: So would you argue then that with President Biden coming in, that he can't be all kumbaya at this point. We've got to really look at the monster for what it was and what it is. Slay the dragon, so to speak.
2: Yeah, I think he can show externally that he's trying to reach across the aisle, but I believe he must charge headfirst into his agenda with deep conviction. I don't think the Republicans would offer a similar sense of unity when they were in power, and I don't think Biden should either. But it's not in the spirit of competition or or pushing someone else down. It's charging through with your beliefs and your politics and enacting laws that you believe are good for the people.
1: That pretty much sums up where I think we should be at this point before this inauguration. And I'm really glad that we had this chance to have this look at where things are at before we jump into this whole new inauguration and this whole new turning of the page, because there are so many dangers that are still there. You still have Trump that's out there. You still have all these groups. Are we going to be able to slay the dragon and how we should slay the dragon? And how should we clean up the mess that exists in our country right now? Are questions that we're going to have to be looking at, But it can, as the old song said, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. I think we all have the responsibility of trying to educate people and trying to educate people and trying to educate people. And hopefully our institutions will step up to the plate. Hopefully people like Zuckerberg will realize they have a role in this too, that we have to remind ourselves of, as Lincoln said, our, our better angels. So, you get the last word.
2: Do I? Find me on CNN in a few months. <laughs> and, uh, my required reading for everyone is, is the book Cast by Isabel Wilkinson. And uh, signing off is your special political correspondent, Sandeep Gopal,
1: and your host, Mark McCormack.
0: Thanks for listening to Strung Out, on our website, you can sign up for the newsletter for a strong out as well as the Mr. Marty Show. That's at Martin McCormack.